Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Kaiser Series podcast, the occasional mini-series where we bring you human performance experts from around the world discussing best practice, the role of technology and what the future of training and rehabilitation might look like. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute and in this edition of the Kaiser Series, I caught up with the Calgary Flames head strength and conditioning coach, Ryan Van Aston. Ryan is an SNC with extensive experience, which includes a Stanley Cup winning spell at the LA Kings, and he's now been at the Calgary Flames for six seasons. Some of his stats there speak for themselves. For example, the Flames have been the best third period team in the NHL for some time. They also have one of the best overtime records, and they are in the bottom five for game days lost to injury throughout the league. It's pretty impressive and speaks to his work with the coaches and players alike, and it was something we got into over the course of our conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Ryan Van Aston, welcome to the Kaiser Series podcast. Thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate uh, the invitation to, to speak with you, and it's an honor. I'd like to start by asking you about some of the challenges that have emerged since the pandemic brought the NHL to a halt. How have you worked to mitigate those? Yeah, I mean, we're really in some uh, unprecedented times currently. Um, basically, one day we showed up to work, we had a game that night, and all the players were uh, instructed not to come in to the building. And then all the staff were essentially sent home, and we haven't been back since. Obviously, that presented a lot of different challenges for us. The main one, particularly not knowing exactly when we're going to resume or if we are going to resume. I mean, that's still up in the air at this point. And the main challenge for us as a strength conditioning staff is currently how do we maintain our fitness levels at home for the players in a lot of different scenarios. So we have, we're not allowed, obviously players aren't allowed to go to gyms or no public facilities open. Players are limited to training at home. And, you know, half the team probably had some gym equipment at home, for example, some dumbbells, some conditioning equipment like a stationary bike, bands, balls, things like that. But then there was probably half the, the team uh, that didn't have anything at all. So that was one of the biggest challenges for my staff was how do we program an effective training program for players, not only that have equipment, but that don't have any equipment whatsoever. So that was a big challenge for us being creative in different ways to do body weight workouts, for example. How do we at least make them effective and, and challenging for the players to maintain a certain level of fitness in these times when we're unsure of what's going to happen? And secondly, one of the things we we also did was distribute a training equipment from our own facility to the players. So any players that didn't have, say, a stationary bike, we brought one to their house for them to use weight bands, med balls, things like that for guys that didn't have any equipment. So we're able to get around some of those issues of guys not having equipment. And then a lot of players also ended up ordering some stuff for their home gyms at home. So, I mean, it's the weirdest situation I've ever been in in terms of strength conditioning. And it's been really difficult for us to, to figure out ways to maintain fitness without even knowing when we're going to resume play um, or if we're going to resume play. Uh, but I think we've done a pretty good job on that. We've got some good feedback from the players. Every player seems to be, uh, their minds are kind of in the right place in terms of training. So I, I think overall, we've done a fairly good job understanding the circumstances. And perhaps even with all those difficulties, there may even be some opportunities in there from an SNC perspective. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's, you know, I feel like daily there's, conference calls with other strength conditioning coaches we've had with my staff alone so I have 
an assistant, uh, Alan Selby. We have two interns and we have a strength conditioning coach in one of our minor league teams. And we've done things like journal clubs. We're reviewing current literature. Um, we've done different podcast reviews, things like that, just to, to keep busy, keep learning. Um, and then there's been other podcasts and other conference calls with strength coaches, not only around the NHL, but also in the general population, general public and different sports and stuff like that, too. I'd like to take things back to the start and ask you to give me a brief account of your career to date. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, obviously, I went to uh, undergraduate school, uh, uh, university in Ontario, Canada, at Queen's University, where I did uh, a Bachelor of Science in Life Sciences. Then I did uh, uh, physical and health education degree there as well. And then moved on, came to University of Calgary to do a master's of science in exercise physiology. And, fr- and from there, I actually, after the master's, I did an internship at uh, Athletes Performance, which is now Exos in Florida, in, in Gulf Breeze, Florida. And then when I came back from that, I got ended up getting a job at the Canadian Sport Institute in Calgary, working with uh, the Canadian National Luge Team, Hockey Canada, so our national hockey programs here as well. Um, from there, I mean, when was it fortunate enough to participate in the 2010 Vancouver Olympics? So, home Olympics for Canada was an unbelievable experience for me. I was primarily with uh, Hockey Canada at that uh, Olympics, but still overseeing the Canadian luge team uh, and their progress there. And then after that, I got a job with the uh, LA Kings. Was there for a few seasons, won a couple Stanley Cups there, which was an unbelievable experience for me. However, the whole time I was in L.A., my wife was still living and uh, working in Calgary. So when the Calgary Flames job opened up, I decided to make the switch and move back home, essentially. And I've been here ever since, just finishing up my uh, sixth season in Calgary. It's been quite a colourful journey. Now, I wonder if you could describe some of the typical modalities available to athletes at an NHL practice facility. How do they differ from those found elsewhere in elite sports? I mean, we don't technically have a practice facility. We, we practice and play out of the same arena. You know, our, our gym equipment, we have your standard gym equipment that you would likely find in any high-performance gym. So starting with squat, squat racks, free weights, dumbbells, kettlebells, med balls, bands, etc., um, that's kind of the foundation of our programming. We would use that. We have Kaiser equipment like functional trainers. We have the wall mount, mounted performance trainers, bikes, and total body trainers. We have things like K-boxes, uh, treadmills, Cybex arcs, and then some rehab equipment like an Alter-G, anti-gravity treadmill, and things like that. And those all, all those things really provide the foundation for, you know, our training and our training modalities. Uh, we also have several monitoring modalities, you know, such as bilateral force plates, gym aware, uh, polar heart rate monitoring. We use catapult on ice for external workload monitoring, things like that. So I, I, I would say those are the major things that provide the foundation for our training. I don't necessarily think that that would differ from really any other gym, no matter uh, where you go from the, from the majority of the sport. I, I'd say that all the basics are probably similar across the board. Well, that's interesting to hear all the same. And when you reflect back on the previous six seasons in Calgary, what have been some of your proudest achievements in terms of S&C and working with the playing group? Yeah, I mean, for from my standpoint, the thing that I'm proudest the most of is the fact that we've created a really good training culture within the organization. So that's 
on a whole bunch of different levels. So the first and foremost is that we have a really, really high gym attendance from a training session standpoint. So we're, we, you know, we're roughly around 90% gym attendance. So almost every single player comes into the gym to train without being forced to do so. Um, and, you know, the only times where guys aren't in there is if they have an injury or something like that, like post-game. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things we're proud of in Calgary. And I think it reflects in terms of not only our performance on the ice. So in the past three, four years, we've been the best third period team in the NHL and have one of the best overtime records in the NHL. Um, and we're also in the bottom five in man games lost due to injury uh, for the last five years, at least um, in terms of, uh, you know, we're not seeing that many injuries from a soft tissue standpoint or insidious standpoint. So I think those are some of the things we're really proud of, and it's those are some things that are are tangible things um, that we can we can measure. In a regular week, how often will you be having conversations with players and coaches? Uh, that happens every day, to be honest. So um, our coach Jeff Ward, he is really in tune to to what we're doing, and he's really in tune to our feedback in terms of how we structure uh, training loads in terms of practice. Uh, and 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 workouts off the ice. So every day I have a conversation with the coaching staff in terms of what we want practice to look like. So in advance, we plan out the whole schedule from practice for the coaches to, in terms of volume and intensity and what we want to see in that particular week or that particular day. And we always touch base with the coach every day. So that's one of the main things we talk about. Obviously, we would discuss individual players if there's if we need to um, and that and that. In terms of players, obviously, that's the biggest part of our job is to communicate and talk to the players and to show that we, we care about them. We talk to them every day. You know, so we, we, we will track things from a performance standpoint on ice. We're looking at workloads and things like that. But at the same time, we need to get a gauge from a subjective standpoint as well as how the, how the players are feeling in a particular day. And, and oftentimes that will influence our programming. So, you know, communication with coaches and players happens every single day. I, I just don't see any way uh, you can function without doing that. Back to the conversation in a moment, but first a quick word about Kaiser. For nearly four decades, Kaiser has influenced the training of athletes, fitness enthusiasts, and rehabilitation experts worldwide with better fitness products that unite both components of human performance, the force you produce, and the speed at which you produce it. More than 80% of the top professional sports teams in the world now train on Kaiser machines, including every baseball team in the major leagues, the soccer champions of nine countries, several American football champions, and countless Olympians. They're joined by everyone from NASA to Navy SEALs, medical experts and rehabilitation specialists, and major gyms like LA Fitness. We're delighted to have them as a partner of the Leaders Performance Institute. And for more information, visit kaiser.com. And now, back to the Kaiser Series podcast. So what are some of the most important considerations when it comes to instructing players in using the equipment? What do you need to be most mindful of as their S&C? That's a good question. I mean, at this level, almost every single player is proficient in terms of using the equipment that we have available or, or performing the specific patterns that we, we find uh, important to hockey. Um, 
you know, for us, it's it's really individual. Obviously, we have certain guys that have been in the NHL for over 10 years, and a lot of those guys could be, if, if you wanted them to, be self-sufficient within the gym. And then we have some young players coming in that are 18 years old that don't have a huge training background and obviously need a whole new set of, uh, of criteria in terms of um, how we, we coach them and things like that. So, I mean, it, it really depends on, on the individual. Um, we, we obviously provide good demonstrations. We try to use self-limiting exercises in terms of, we, we don't necessarily, especially in season, try to overcomplicate things. We try to keep it as simple as possible to get the job, the most effective dose we can have with the individuals. So I, I think a lot of those things come into play. What about player programs? How flexible do they need to be during the season? What are some of the ways in which the players' loads will impact on their program on any given day or week? Are there also opportunities for extended periods when you're not playing during the season? Yeah, so I mean, the biggest thing from an in-season programming standpoint for us is to understand and realize that really the off-ice portion takes a backseat to what they're doing on the ice. And with hockey, we play an 82-game regular season schedule, and it really works out to be a game every other night. So what happens is, and so one week we may have two games, and then another week we might have four games with a back-to-back scenario. Um, so that really, the game schedule will really guide how we periodize the program in terms of the volume and intensity. Typically in season, volume is always going to be extremely low. So we do really low volume, but we do some sort of training essentially every day, whether it might be a, a, a weightlifting session or it could just be core mobility work. It depends what it is, but we do something every day. And then the game schedule is going to, will often determine the intensity. So what happens is half the season, obviously we're on the road. So when we're at home, we have our full access to a full gym. Uh, when we're on the road, the home team has to provide the visiting team with a specific set of equipment, and it's the same in every building. So we know exactly what we're going to have when we're on the road. That being said, the you know we only have dumbbells that go up to 50, kettlebell that goes up to 24 kilos, and you have about 185 pounds of weight if you include the bar. So we we know we know in the in, when we're on the road the intensity of the work that we're going to be able to do is going to be significantly lower than at home. So oftentimes what we'll do is we structure it. We undulate basically our intensity, whereas we'll do higher intensity work at home and lower intensity work on the road. And that's kind of how we structure it a little bit throughout, throughout the year. And then obviously the game schedule, if we have four games in a week, we're going to have less training sessions or less, let's say weightlifting sessions than we would if we had two games in a week. And then there are times it's, you know, that happens throughout the year where we may have four days between games. It's really rare. It only happens two or three times a season, if that. And those are times specifically where we can accumulate more volume from an off-ice standpoint and an on-ice standpoint as well. And then there's another part of the season where we have a bye week and an all-star break. So those are combined where the players would have, let's say, seven days off away from the rink they're not we're not allowed to make them come into the rink at that point in time but we do provide them with a training program that is probably a little bit higher volume than they would be used to when we're playing 
that they can take away to wherever they go and, and perform in a hotel gym if they're, you know, if they go away to a resort or something like that. So uh, that's in a, in a simplistic sense, that's probably how we would structure uh, the in-season training. And how proactive are the players in their own programs? Will you use feedback to increase or reduce their volume? Yeah, I mean, again, I think that one really depends on the individual. So we have a handful of individuals on our team that are really experienced, are really in tune to their body and training, and absolutely 100% we take their feedback. Uh, They know how they're feeling more than I know how they're feeling. Um, So we definitely take their feedback and consideration into the programming. You know, and when you do that too, it, it creates a little bit more buy-in from those guys in terms of the program when they feel like they're a part of it. Now, that being said, there are individuals on the team where you might not necessarily do that. Uh, a younger guy, obviously you're getting feedback from every player, but there are cases where you may not take as much feedback and allow it to influence your program as you would with uh, another player. So de- definitely we 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 want the feedback from the guys. These, these guys are professional hockey players. Um, most of them are, you know, in their mid to late twenties or even in their thirties and have a lot of experience training. And we, and we really trust our players feedback and how they feel programs are affecting their bodies. We also do a ton of monitoring in terms of performance monitoring off the ice, um, just to see how programs are, are affecting them as well. And do you find that your senior players are instrumental in demonstrating the culture for the younger players? Oh, absolutely. So I'm uh, really fortunate here in Calgary. Um, we have one of the best captains in the National Hockey League. His name is Mark Giordano. Um, and it, just to put this in perspective, he's, I think he's now he's 36 years old. And he's still, you know, if we, if we were to rank fitness testing, which we do, he, he comes in first place every year. Um, it's just his MO. He, he was a player that was never drafted to junior hockey. He was never drafted to the NHL. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he makes it as a walk-on and now he is the captain of an NHL team. And last season he won the Norris trophy, which is for the best defenseman in the NHL. So this is a guy that was, had to work for every ounce of anything he's ever had in terms of the sport of hockey and he's our captain. So if an 18 year old player comes into our team, there's really not a whole lot they can do when you're their captain and best defenseman in the NHL is working the hardest of anyone. So I think we're really fortunate that way. It definitely makes my job and my staff, our job so much easier having a player like that. Yeah. Mark Giordano is certainly an inspirational captain and leader, but what about you, Ryan? Even after all these years, does your job still have the capacity to surprise you? I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's uh, things are surprises anymore. Obviously, we get new challenges all the time, um, different types of injuries uh, that we're not used to seeing. For example, um, in the offseason, one of our blue chip prospects uh, blew his ACL uh, playing basketball and uh, in, his, in his home in Finland. And for us, this is might be interesting to you is this is the first uh, ACL injury I've ever had in hockey. Um, Obviously it didn't occur playing hockey, but so I don't have a lot of experience rehabbing ACL injuries. So obviously we've invoked like there's some 
uh, like Matt Jordan here in Calgary, he, he works with Alpine skiers. He's a researcher here in Calgary as well. Does a lot of work with ACL uh, rehab as we've, and utilize Matt significantly in terms of how we're planning our rehab and things like that. So, I mean, I don't necessarily think there's a lot of surprises anymore, but new things do pop up uh, like that. For example, uh, there's new technologies that come out that we're unaware of and have to learn or, or utilize or things like that. But it's an ever evolving um, field. It's evolving by the day. There's always new things that pop up, but not major surprises, no. What about your biggest lesson working in LA and Calgary? I think the biggest lesson for me, it, it probably for a lot of young strength coaches, was to basically get out of my own way. Realizing that it wasn't about me and it wasn't about the programming that I was doing. It wasn't about showing everyone that I was capable of doing the job. It was uh, more about the athletes and helping them achieve what they want to achieve. And if you do that, everyone's going to realize that potentially you're doing a good job in the right thing. So I think that's one of the biggest things for, for me, especially younger, um, even bef- more so before I got to the NHL was realizing that it's, it's not about me. It's not about showing how good I am. It's, you know, it's like that old cliche where the athletes don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson. And I see it all the time with some of the younger interns that I have come through. They really want to show how good they are and how much they know and et cetera. And, uh, you know, I think we need to take a step back and realize that it's not about us. It's interesting how often we hear that across different sports. And there's just one final question from me, Ryan. Is there something we should be keeping an eye out for when it comes to SNC and hockey and the NHL over the next few years? Yeah, I mean, if I look at my career, for example, when I started almost 10 years ago in the NHL, things have changed so much and it's pretty much fairly drastically in terms of the technology and science of things. So the way we monitor athletes back then, it was pretty rudimentary. We're looking at basic vertical jumping on something like a jump mat or opti jump. You know, we're doing subjective sessional RPEs, um, just monitoring ice time and things like that. Whereas now we're, we have technologies in place, for example, like Catapult, where we can actually measure uh, work output, external loading. We can measure internal loads. Um, there's new exciting tools all, all the time that are we're basically the future is now. One thing that's quite interesting with the NHL is they're, I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. It was supposed to happened this year but it it didn't end up happening but they were going to start to insert essentially gps units into the uniforms of all the players on every team and it's a league it would have been a league-wide thing where they're tracking all kinds of different obviously positional data in terms of speed position on the ice things like that and that's more for them it was more so for fan experience what they can do on television but we would also have access to that data um, and see how it happens. Currently, uh, we're not allowed to monitor players in game at all. So we can't wear, whereas we wear, our players wear a catapult, for example, every practice. They're not allowed, mandated by the collective bargaining agreement to wear that in a game. So we don't have any real game data. We have game data from our American Hockey League team, which is our minor league team. They're allowed to wear it in games, but we don't have NHL game data. So something like what the league is trying to do will allow us to get some real game data to see where 
what you know what an actual game looks like from an objective standpoint. Um, currently, we don't have the ability to do that. So that's probably the next thing that we're going to see down the road is being able to measure and monitor specific data points within a game. Well, it's certainly going to be an interesting time. Ryan, thank you very much for your time today. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.